0: G'day, Tilda Joy here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories, and social justice issues. This program is produced on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. This episode was recorded in isolation for 3CR Community Radio, and broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. As the old union saying goes, if you don't fight, you lose. lose. During the COVID-19 pandemic, public health and safety has required us to give up a lot, including our presence in many forms of direct action and street protests. This week, we'll be travelling up the east coast of our continent, talking with activists who have been working to bring back collective action into our streets, whether that be through mutual aid, vehicle convoys, or the good old-fashioned blockade. First, we'll be joined by Rose from the Community Union Defence League in Melbourne, Then, by a group of workers in Sydney and Wollongong, involved in the Retail Fast Food Workers Union and the May 1 movement. We'll close out the show by chatting with Natalie from Refugee Solidarity Brisbane. But first, some union news. It's been over two weeks now since massive Black Lives Matter demonstrations erupted across the continent. Although major cities saw crowds numbering in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands by some estimates, two weeks on, only three people present at these protests have tested positive for COVID-19. This is a testament to the efforts of organisers to ensure that these demonstrations could go ahead in such a safe and responsible way. Meanwhile in Victoria, the discovery of 25 new cases of COVID-19 has caused the Victorian state government to tighten restrictions which were set to relax. Particularly hard-hit is the hospitality industry, which was expecting restrictions to lift on the 22nd of June, only to discover that these measures were to be reversed with less than 48 hours' notice. In tertiary education news, after NTEU members defeated proposed changes to their enterprise bargaining agreement at the University of Melbourne, Workers at the University of Western Australia and Monash University are being asked to vote on changes to their conditions. The NTEU Fight Back campaign, a rank-and-file initiative to defend workers against cuts to pay, conditions and job security, says that university workers are being asked to take a 10% pay cut. Despite this, 78% of NTEU members at the University of Western Australia voted in favour of the proposed changes in an internal union ballot. (laughs) Continuing with universities, student unions around the country are set to take action on Friday the 26th of June in Adelaide, Brisbane, Canberra, Melbourne, Perth and Sydney. This comes as the Federal Minister for Education, Dan Tehan, announced a massive shake-up to university funding. So-called job-relevant subjects in nursing, science and architecture will become cheaper – while students enrolling to study law will have their fees raised by 28%, and fees for humanity courses are set to more than double. Minister Tian says that the changes are designed to drive job growth, while many argue that the fee hikes will keep poor and marginalised students out of tertiary education. On the evening of Tuesday the 23rd of June, landmark Victorian wage theft laws were passed by the state's Upper House. The new laws include fines of up to a million dollars and the possibility of 10 years in prison for bosses who steal their workers' wages. These penalties will not come into effect until the middle of next year. The annual minimum wage decision has been handed down by the Fair Work Commission, only offering workers a 1.75% increase. This is far lower than the 4% demanded by the ACTU, and below last year's inflation rate of 2.2%. Most controversially, the wage raise will only be awarded to essential professions such as healthcare and education. Workers in industries such as food and retail will have to wait until November to see their wages lifted. Thinking back to the panic buying only weeks ago, one could be forgiven for thinking that retail and food workers were indeed essential. (laughs) You're listening to "Stick Together," recorded for 3CR Community Radio, and coming to your local community radio station by the Community Radio Network. Hi, Rose. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourself.
1: Hey, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm I'm Rose, uh, and I am a, a program organizer for Community Union Defence League in Melbourne. And I've been with the organisation since its inception in Melbourne late last year.
0: Yeah. So. Community Union Defence League. has got one of the the cutest acronyms around, Cuddle. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Love it. Um, so what what is Cuddle and um what 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 does it do?
1: As far as Melbourne goes, uh, where I can speak the most of, um, we have been running a street kitchen since late last year, in front of the State Library. It's uh, every Sunday, uh, three to six pm. Um, we serve uh, a bunch of home cooked meals, which are provided by a kind of a network of of volunteers around Melbourne. We serve pretty much anyone in the community who needs a feed. We've set up kitchens um, all over Australia. Uh, this initially started out in Sydney.
0: It's not just um, a kitchen, though, is it? Like, there's a lot of lot of things you're offering to to people who are coming up as well. I've seen you give yeah, you know, like books um... and things.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, we try to provide, um, especially with Corona, um, a lot of hygiene packs, um, which we find are kind of very welcome and wanted, and yeah, as well as books and a ton of clothes. Uh, and it makes such a big difference because we are, we're able to serve well over a hundred people every week. Um, and we started just yeah, just a few months ago, out of nothing. We have no state backing. We have pretty much no finances it's, it's all just our labor and, and our motivation to, I guess, serve these needs.
0: You mentioned um, putting together the hygiene packs and things like that. I was wondering what it's been like running a public service like this, like the whole way through the pandemic. i have been following uh, you lot for a a couple of months now and you haven't skipped a beat, it seems. Um, What's that, what's that been like? Yeah, it's been pretty crazy,
1: honestly. Um, With we started a few months before the pandemic and um, we've kind of had to just adapt since then. A lot of services ended up um, winding down some of their programs. Um, a lot of the churches, a lot of the non-government organisations, they um, because of COVID restrictions, they didn't really know how to function or they didn't have the ability to function and it meant there was a bit of a gap and there's still a gap, there's you know, still a great need there. So we basically had to decide, you know, are we going to keep doing this? And the overwhelming consensus is that we kind of have to, because even with Corona, people still need to eat. People still need to get this stuff out there.
0: So it seems like it's been immensely valuable to the community you've kind of been serving, especially in that kind of vacuum you describe. Um, yeah, obviously it's been a challenging time, you know, in terms of safety and hygiene and um, issues like that. But um, I understand there's been some elements of pushback from, um, you know, various forces, whether that be the police or uh, city councils and things like that. Um, what's that experience been like?
1: Um, yeah, I think we've, we've gotten relatively lucky here in Melbourne in that we haven't been shut down or anything. But, yeah, the police have approached us about, you know, whether it's, like, social distancing staff or permits or whatever. They'll, they'll come with a bunch of different reasons, you know, a bunch of false concerns about safety and stuff while they then move on to harass homeless people but they haven't been able to do anything um, actionable about it because we're really not actually breaking any laws um, at least not technically Um, in in Sydney they've had a bit of a more uh, I guess rough experience with them, um, with the police and the council especially the the, uh, city council in Sydney have called the police on cuddle multiple times um, whether it's being because they had a car park somewhere or whatever, like they were, they were set up with a permission from the council themselves, uh, but they've been there for over two years now, and they're only just now like calling the police on them because it's it's opportune because of COVID they have cover in a lot of ways.
0: What do you see as like the future of Cuddle? Where do you think is going? You know, over um, the next little while with. You know, not just COVID, but what, what are your plans for the for the future?
1: Yeah, so it's grown pretty quickly and that's kind of made it a bit hard to, I guess, determine its trajectory. We got a lot of interest because of COVID um, and we're just hoping that that energy and that momentum doesn't leave us. I don't think it has. It's pretty much just increased. Ultimately, we started pretty spontaneously and um, we've had to deal with the issues that come with that we've had to create, um, a proper structure to deal with, say, like things like police, um, and things like, um, just managing the sheer amount of you know, donations that we get from these, from different sources. So in the future, we really would love to kind of expand and to provide not just our current services, but other services in Sydney, they have a thing called the freedom Bank, and, um, the freedom van it basically helped people in domestic violence situations um, move, and you know there's so many ideas that we could have like things like uh, general community self defence. We also want to aspire to move out geographically because homelessness is everywhere, and it often doesn't look like uh, rough sleeping homelessness. Most of it outside of the CBD is people couch surfing or they're living in overcrowded dwellings, especially that's a really big problem uh, in a lot of Melbourne suburbs and people living in their car, like homelessness is everywhere. And it's a matter of trying to uh, move those programs out to those areas uh, and particularly them being run by people in those communities themselves. Uh, And and in times of crisis like we have here, we have, it's not just Corona, we have a depression, you know? a global depression and so much is is, is, we're just in the tip of the iceberg. Uh, And now more than ever, we have to, you know, stick together and um, show solidarity That's more than just, you know, going to a a rally every now and then, but to actually, you know, get your hands dirty and, you know, pick up a ladle.
0: (laughs) We were just speaking there to Rose from the Community Union Defence League about the space that they've managed to foster on the streets during this pandemic. To take collective action and to take care of each other. Now we're going to have an interview with some workers from Sydney and Wollongong about their efforts to take to the streets. Okay, so we're joined here at the moment by Toby, Lily, and Evan. I was wondering if you could introduce yourselves. Maybe we'll start with Toby.
2: My name's Toby. I'm a rank and file member of the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. Uh, I work at Coles as a delivery driver for groceries in so called Sydney. Good one. Um, And we've also got Lily.
3: Hi. So, yeah, my name's Lily. Um, I'm a fast food worker a bit south of Sydney in Wollongong and I spoke at the rally opposing the changes to the fast food award.
0: And on the line we also have Evan.
4: Hi, um, my name's Evan. I'm an activist with the May 1 Committee and have been a long-term trade union member and also through the climate justice and queer rights movements.
0: Excellent. Thanks for joining us, everyone. So, Toby and Lily, you're members of RAFU, the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, and you recently participated in a rally that was organised by the May 1 movement. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me how that went.
2: Yeah, to respect social distancing, the rally was a car convoy at the McDonald's headquarters in northwest Sydney, uh, which also incidentally had a McDonald's next to it, so very iconic place to be. We did, like, a very, very slow drive convoy across to where... Ah, uh, the McDonald's headquarters and the McDonald's place actually was, and you know we're beeping all the way, and there's like flags everywhere, and you know people are like looking and like seeing the signs on the sides of all of our cars. Uh, and then you know we arrived into the car park of McDonald's, which has this view of the actual McDonald's headquarters. You know the management of McDonald's is there watching us, like seeing what's happening, uh, and that's kind of the context by which we made all the speeches, we made all the points that we made.
3: So at the rally, we um put out the point that having um, set rosters and set hours for part-time work is really important. Um, and having like a set roster is just an essential element of part-time work. So with the proposed changes that McDonald's is putting up, it would essentially just be casualizing a whole heap of part-time workers and pretty much making casual workers redundant unless they would, you know, go down to part-time pay and lose their overtime pay, that kind of thing. So overall, like, it's just really disgusting to see McDonald's doing this, especially in this current climate um, of job losses and uh, uncertainty and that kind of thing.
0: And so both of you spoke at the rally. What was what was that like?
3: I always get really happy when I speak at a rally or an event. But, you know, speaking at this one to me was um, pretty special to be, like, at my first union, like my own union event as a rank and file member um, representing fast food workers um, and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I think speaking at it was an incredibly empowering experience as a unionist. Uh, Reflecting on it, there's really not a lot of opportunity for rank and file workers to speak out about their conditions. I think that's like a really negative thing. And I was really lucky to have an opportunity to speak about that and to speak about that like among other uh, will speak out against the atrocious cuts to conditions that were going on for hundreds of thousands of workers.
0: Now, Evan, you're part of the May 1 movement. I was wondering if you could describe a little bit about what that is, where it comes from, and what you've achieved over the course of this pandemic.
4: Yeah, um, so the May 1 movement kind of coalesced around the May Day protests that were happening amidst the Change the Rules campaign where there was this acknowledgement that we needed more than just an electoral campaign, we needed a strike. And the MUA proposed this idea that we don't just strike for you know, better wages, but we strike around these broad questions of climate action, worker rights, and social justice, You know, actual like solidarity. And it was really exciting that this year, um, we were looking forward to the idea that we could have basically a worker strike for climate. Um, that was scuttled by Corona, And so we've basically been looking at other forms of protest since, Um, car convoys in particular, to have a socially distant protest. And we managed to do one on March 27th and then another on May 1. And both of which were like really quite successful. May 1 managed to get maybe 200 cars, I think. Um, And then that inspired us to say that we can keep going. And so we did the convoy uh, to McDonald's um, in Thornley, which obviously got the attention of the industry bodies um, who mentioned the effect that it had and also involved in the NTEU Day of Action here, which contributed to the saving of a whole bunch of arts courses at Sydney University and thereby preventing job cuts. Um, so that's kind of what we've been involved with in M1. That's kind of how it came to be. Um, and we're a broad group of people who are like environmentalists, unionists, um, activists from broad range not just from the far left but like we've got people like you know the head of rafu head of mua head of construction division of cfmu have all been involved at different points
0: beautiful well i think you should all be very stoked I, personally i'd kind of say that what's been happening up your way has really been pioneering the way that we approach protest in this time of lockdown and everything and you should you should definitely be very proud of, of what you've achieved here thanks so much for making the time today
3: Thank you for having us.
0: So that interview was held before the George Floyd uprisings and the explosion of the current global protest movement. Only weeks ago, 200 cars on May Day was an almost unthinkable thing. And since then, everything's only escalated. So right now we're going to throw over to an interview with Natalie from Refugee Action Brisbane to talk about the Kangaroo Point blockade.
5: Hey, um, my name is Natalie Farah and I am one of the organisers with the Refugee Solidarity group um, in Brisbane. Currently we're holding the blockade outside of Central Hotel in Kangaroo Point where 120 refugees are being detained um, indefinitely.
0: And you come from a refugee background yourself, is that right?
5: Yeah, so I'm a Syrian refugee. I've been in Australia for about seven years now. Um, So this is very close to my heart and I feel for the men inside. I can't speak for their experiences i was never detained um however i know what it's like to leave um, your family behind your friends and leave your world behind looking for a better future
0: so this blockade's been going for 10 days at the time of recording um can you explain a bit more about what it is and how it started
5: Um, So for the past few months, the men themselves have been coming outside um, on their balconies in demonstration every Friday afternoon. Um, people around the neighbourhood started noticing what's happening and started getting informed about the issue. And then they got got in contact with um, different activist groups in Brisbane. Um, Since then, throughout the pandemic, um, people have been coming down, standing in solidarity with these refugees every Friday afternoon. What inspired the blockade um, was the removal of one of the refugees it was non-consensual and that refugee specifically was um was one of the people who started those demonstrations so he was very active um he had a lot of media attention and um the government uh, forcefully removed him from the detention center to a high security prison um away from the eyes of the community and the media
0: right so that really kind of um Brought more people out into the streets at that point? That's
5: it. Yeah, that's it. So we had we had a big rally um, and then the government tried to take out more refugees forcefully. Um, however, there were a few of us here and um, we stopped a couple of those vans and then we realised that the government is going to keep trying to remove those refugees slowly. And so we decided that the only way that we can stop this is by having a blockade. Um, surrounding all gates of the detention centre at all times.
0: It's amazing to see that kind of, um, you know, solidarity in in the community. Um, It's
5: incredible. The vibe here is amazing. uh, We've got so much food coming in from neighbours. We've got water being donated. Um, We've got a little HQ set up. Um, We've got lots of donations coming through as well. It's a really incredible support. It's
0: absolutely beautiful stuff. So are there any certain demands that the... um, The occupation is trying to achieve
5: um yeah so our demands from the beginning of the blockade have been the same we have three main demands the first one is that the illegal and forceful transfers of refugees should stop um the second one is to allow the men to exercise and to to leave the compound um at least once a week to be able to breathe and be integrated into the community. And the third one, which is um, the ultimate goal, is to have the refugees out by Christmas. Um, yeah.
0: So what kind of um, pushback have you seen? Like uh, we've just gone kind of through a period of the last few months of, you know, public events of all kinds have been prohibited. Mm. Um, and you mentioned earlier some of the actions of the, the Queensland police. Um, mm. What's that pushback been like on the ground?
5: Unfortunately, the police have not been engaging and they haven't been negotiating. Um, We have approached this situation from a non-violent perspective. Um, We all attend non-violent direct action training on the daily here on the blockade. We have many events to teach people about their legal rights and how to approach situations with police. Um, We have trained de-escalators um, however, the police have been coming here every day um, and escalating situations by giving people move-on orders um, unlawfully, by arresting people and then dropping the charges, um, creating chaos um, mainly. Um, yesterday we had a we had a rally. It was our second rally. We had more than a thousand people come. Um, the police came in heavy presence. Um, They brought in the Tactical Response Unit, um, which is a militarized form of the police, um, and they basically cattled people, pushed us off the street, Um, put us into a small street, a small corner, and then they started giving people fines for social distancing. So they didn't give us the right conditions or the the good amount of time to be able to social distance, and then they were giving people um, fines, infringement notices, and um, also move on orders.
0: Are there any plans to kind of support people who've uh, copped those fines?
5: Um, so we set up a GoFundMe, um, the link can be found on our Facebook page, so Refugee, Solidarity, Brisbane, Nianjin. Um, we are still negotiating and debating whether we would like to use that money, um, for welfare, um, or use some of it to pay off the fines. Um, we are fighting most of those fines in court because we believe that they are unlawful and, um, they were not given at the appropriate time and the circumstances. Um, however, I think we are leaning more towards setting up separate GoFundMe's individually uh, to be able to pay off those fines and then utilize the money that we have um we've gathered um to keep renting out the car park where we have our headquarters at the moment, um, to to get basically um yeah, all the basics for people who are staying here twenty four seven.
0: Excellent. Um, listeners to the podcast, we've got the link to that GoFundMe in our notes, so you can follow that. Um, but yeah, just speaking of you know basic needs and things like that, what's the infrastructure at the blockade like? You've mentioned that there's um, a number of police liaisons, um, but yeah, what else have you got to support yeah, people so, and keep it safe?
5: So on the on the daily, we have um, a minimum of twenty people who are staying gates. We have um, roster that's set up all online, so people can um, sign up on shifts. We have a shift manager who's trained um, in in de-escalation. We have a police liaison and a legal observer at all times. Um, And in those big rallies, um, we have more than 20 marshals, we have multiple police liaisons and legal observers who are going around making sure everyone is okay. Um, we also have teams that are set up within the blockade. We've got a welfare team, we've got a welcome team, so people whose job is just to go around, um, keep the morale going, um, come up with creative ideas to bring more people into the blockade. We've had morning yoga, we've had musical jam sessions every afternoon, Um trying to make sure everyone is well fed and everyone's drinking enough water. And of course, we've got a medical um, team. So at least one medical officer here at all times.
0: Is there um, anything else you wanted to add before we part ways?
5: Um, Yeah, I would just like to encourage people um, to do a little reflection, um, either now or after you finish hearing this. I just want you to think about the past seven years of your life and what you've achieved, what you've gone through, all the life stages, all the lessons, and the things that you've learned about yourself. Try and write that down. For me, I've been reflecting on that in the past couple of days. Things like we got to finish high school. Some of us went to university. Some of us went to their first festivals, played music, or fell in love, or got their heart broken. The men inside have experienced none of that. They have not been outside for seven years. Some of them got detained when they were 15 years old. So they're 22, 23 years old now. It's, it's horrifying. It's really horrifying to think um, of their mental state and how, how they just don't know themselves.
0: Absolutely. Some of us have struggled with just a couple of months of lockdown.
5: Exactly. um, Yeah, imagine seven years of that lockdown.
0: That's it for Stick Together this week. Stick Together is produced for 3CR Community Radio in so-called Melbourne. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Tilda Joy, and remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. Until next time, stick together.